When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Millie Tamaris, and this is the Betches Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in news and politics. Today, I'm here with New York State Senator Julia Salazar and author Sophia Warren. Senator Salazar has represented the 18th District of New York, which is my district, in the State Senate since 2019. Sophia Warren is the author of Radical, My Year with a Socialist Senator, which is a graphic novel about Julia Salazar's first year in office. Ah, uh, yay, I'm so happy to have y'all. Thank you so much for having us, Millie. Happy oh, yeah. to be here. Me too. Uh, Thanks for having us. Sue, I've been I've been begging. I'm like, please, let's let's get my let's let's make the podcast as much about me as possible and get <laughs> all elected representatives. For people who, you know, there's people all over the country that listen to this podcast. And, you know, again, uh Julia, you are the state senator and you're my state senator and I live in Bushwick. Um, but before we talk about state senatorship, you are a self-identified democratic socialist. Can you talk to us about what that means and why it's an important distinction from a standard Democrat? Definitely. So, um, First of all, it means recognizing that we um, live in a society with a capitalist economy that is uh, profit-driven, that is exploitative of of workers, um, of working-class people and families, um, and instead envisioning a world that um, where we have an economy that is not so profit driven, um, and where, uh, certainly, um, people's basic needs, housing, healthcare, education are provided for, um, by our society collectively, um, by the state, um, a society in which everyone has the resources that they need to thrive. Um, and that is not marked by the, uh, devastating inequality. Um, that we see in inequity, um, that we see in, um, our, our capitalist society. And so, um, being a democratic socialist, um, in particular means, 
fighting to create that society, fighting for policies that would make that a reality um, in in a democratic way through the democratic process, um, engaging in um, electoral politics um, and in a, a mass movement to make that possible in the U.S. Okay, so unlike what Fox News says, a socialist is you. It sounds like you just want people to have health care and education and you're not going around and taking away people's designer bags or luxury cars, right? Right. Yeah, that's definitely not part of uh, <laughs> the policy agenda, um, taking things a- away from people, um, but rather making sure that people who um, lack basic necessities, um, you know, in a, in a civilized society, um, all of us, regardless of, uh, you know, where we were born and what circumstances, the color of our skin, our religion, et cetera, we should have access to, um, to those basic things. That's a great way to put it. It's not taking away anything. It's just adding, providing the basics, which is the basics are so, um, again, in a profit driven society, so in danger, you know, with housing getting more expensive and all that. So that's great. So I want to ask in today's day and age, we're so focused on national politics. You can blame Betches for that because we talk a lot about national politics, at least Twice a week, I'm yelling about Ron DeSantis, but I want to hear what is a state senator? What is, how's that different from a governor or a congressperson or, or just a regular senator, quote unquote? Yeah. So in New York state, we have, um, our state level legislature, unlike our, you know, local and municipal governments, such as the New York city council, um, we have this legislature that consists of two houses, one being the state assembly, which is the larger house, um, of 150 members. And then the state Senate of which there are 63 senators, um, and state Senate districts all across the state. Um, so in my, uh, district, for example, I represent a part of Brooklyn. Um, it's about 330,000 people. Um, and all of the senators across the state are tasked with, with representing roughly, um, that number of New Yorkers. Um, and, and what it means to be a state senator is, um, often going to Albany, the state capital, um, and uh, debating policy with, um, our colleagues, introducing bills, uh, ideally bringing constituents who we democratically represent, um, into the process in order to, um, create laws that, that govern our, our state. Um, state senators and state assembly members have a profound influence on, um, the everyday lives of New Yorkers, even though a lot of people are more focused either on the local level or the federal level. Yeah. Um, I feel like right now we're seeing a trend with a lot of millennials and Gen Z that they move to bigger cities to find work and to (laughs) find themselves. (laughs) So, Something that I've heard a lot and I think a lot of people have heard is that, you know, they'll come from smaller, you know, small towns. And I know also that you represent a lot of people who also grew up here and was raised here natively. But also an argument that I've heard from people transplants, let's say, is that, you know, they're from Ohio or like I grew up in Florida. They're like, okay, well, I'm going to vote 
back home when my hometown not participate in the local where I live uh, because New York is solidly blue. It's Democrat. No matter what I do, my vote doesn't count because it's Democrat. I want to hear what you think as a local politician and why it's important to pay attention to local government politics. What falls under your jurisdiction and what have you been able to accomplish too? Answer yes. all those questions right now. I'm kidding. No, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try to, to touch on them, but, but I think fundamentally, right, why should all of us vote where we live, ideally? Um, and I think it's about uh, ensuring that we have a healthy democracy in order for us to have um, a you know, small d democracy that functions um, the, the way um, that it should. Um, in, you know, people actually having direct involvement in the laws that influence their lives. Um, it's really important that people vote where they live and are civically engaged in, in any other ways that they can be where they actually live, even though it's understandable. Um, sometimes people relocate to a state like New York that is considered generally, you know, a solid blue state. Um, and they think, oh, maybe it would be more effective to vote in the place where I lived before and was previously and, and, you know, currently registered to vote, um, that it's a red state or a purple state. Um, but the, the truth is, um, I think it's much more democratic and, and it makes more sense for people to vote where they live so that they can, um, you know, elect the people who are going to be advocating for them. It's just the most democratic way of doing things. Um, and what that ultimately means, um, in, in a place like New York is, um, the working people that I represent, um, of course, there are a lot of people who, um, unfortunately due to voter suppression and, um, election laws that are not democratic are not actually, they're excluded from the electoral process because they're not legally able to vote. Um, and we want more people to be able to vote. Um, and also to not lose their right to vote. Um, but those who, you know, are able to, to vote, um, who don't have that right taken from them through discrimination, um, they get to elect us to go to Albany and fight for things, um, such as, you know, it impacts the, the rent laws that has mm-hmm. been, um, and that is something that Sophia's book, um, addresses at length and really, um, showcases, uh, because of the, the year, my first year in office, um, it was really timely. Um, but additionally, um, we influence, um, uh, policy related to healthcare. We have a massive state budget in New York that really affects social services, um, public services and people's lives in so many ways. Yeah, just one more question about your general career before we get into this amazing book that I'm obsessed with. You talked like broadly about some of the things you were able to accomplish, but I'm, I'm curious to hear. I mean, I've followed, but like you can tell our audience, like what are some of the things that you were able to do in office as state senator since, you know, 2018? Well, uh, so, um, Sophia's book really follows the campaign around the rent laws in 2019. So the rent laws, um, being the, the laws that govern rent regulation, um, and tenants rates to some degree in, um, New York City and, and in New York State as a whole. Uh, previously, um, the state legislature every four years or so was, um, having to, um, reconsider the rent laws all over again. They were putting mm-hmm. a sunset as, as they call it. 
um, on the rent laws. And so in 2019, um, we had just regained a uh, Democratic, Democratic Party uh, majority in the state Senate, um, as well as uh, already in the assembly in the governor's office. And so there was an opportunity to break through what had been um, years of dysfunction um, and, and, and inability to pass uh, meaningful progressive legislation in, in Albany at the state level. Um, and so we took that opportunity in 2019. I played um, a really critical role in uh, implementing or, or passing and implementing new rent laws that would protect more people um, from the negative impacts of gentrification, um, from massive rent increases, uh, from having um, their rent stabilization taken away from them and from the apartments they live in, um, which really was especially meaningful in, in New York City and in the district I represent. Um, but we also uh, passed um, additional laws to uh, protect people um, from a, a quick eviction in other parts of the state. Um, we passed uh, landmark climate legislation in New York State, arguably the most progressive um, uh, climate legislation in, in the U.S. to try to bring climate justice um, and a just transition away from fossil fuels into renewable energy in New York. Um, so there really is so much that we can influence at the state level that has a profound impact on on people's lives. Yes, yes. So you hear that, everyone? You have to vote in your local politics because then you can get a cool state senator like Julia Salazar. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits healthier hair and skin. Yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. 
They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash fever dream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash fever dream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash fever dream. I'm going to shift gears and uh, ask Sophia some questions about this really cute book. Sophia, um, the book is mainly from your perspective. So I'm curious, what about this journey made you say, like, I want to write about this. This is a story that I want to tell. Yeah, I am. I was coming from a place of not knowing that much about state politics. And it was Julia's campaign in 2018 that really shifted my focus towards state politics and local level stuff. It was not something that was really on my radar. Um, and because of the energy of the grassroots part of, of Fulia's campaign, I just um, found myself really curious about what happens when we actually send this person to Albany to get this done. Um, I was living in that district. Um, technically one block outside of it, but my studio was there. I spent all my time in Bushwick. Um, and so I, I found myself just really in a place where this was, this was immediate to me. Um, I was working as a cartoonist and as an animator. It's, it's the medium that I use and that I'm most comfortable with and that I really believe in as a tool of communication. I think it's, um, accessible for people. I'm not the type of person that would read like a textbook about state government, though I did try in the case of, of doing this project. Um, but it felt more appealing to me as a reader to try and look at something that felt human, that was following people that could kind of place me on the ground. And so that's what I wanted this project to be. I wanted to just kind of, uh, spend a lot of time through this embedding process with Julia, with the staff, with the organizers around them and get to know how this works. And so that was, that was the intention. And I hope that's what comes through in the book. I'm curious of like, after you have written it, you know, obviously you said you didn't know much about uh, state local government. I want to know, like, how, how did writing this book affect your view on local politics? Like what has changed for you? A lot has changed. <laughs> Um, I think initially I thought I'll do this and I'll get um, a good amount of information. Like I want to know how this actually works. My understanding is mostly coming from like Veep. I have a feeling that's not an entirely accurate of how government operates. Um, so I, I, what I went into the project thinking is that it would primarily be information. Um, and it was a lot of information um, about not just politics, but, but more more profound for me, I think, was um, the real introduction into collective action and organizing through um, the Housing Justice for All movement and through the principles of that that were a part of the state Senate office. Those are the things that felt immediately like something I could take away as a citizen who maybe isn't going to run for office, ways to engage civically that I can immediately place myself in and, and tools that help me understand um, my place in the society and how I as an individual relate to politics. Um, all of that I really owe to this project and these people. That's great. Yeah. I think there, there is this like 
awakening or movement that happens when you start doing things on a local level where it's like your participation in civic government. And like, I think that's great that that was your, your personal takeaway on working on this. I'm curious about what you want people who read this book to take away from this. I found the experience profoundly hopeful. My background professionally is, you know, as a cartoonist, I work with the New Yorker. We're pretty tongue in cheek. We're pretty cynical. I would say that I am not. <laughs> my work prior to this point was not exactly like heart on sleeve, really earnest. And so it feels kind of vulnerable for me to, to say that I really was profoundly impacted by the hope that I felt in the process of and joy of, of spending time with organizers, with collective action, with this office. Um, it was a year where things did happen concretely that affect me, that affect my communities in a way that was positive um, and, and in a way that was a direct result of this enormous um, campaign of, and coalition of, of individuals in the state, of these, these tenants that really came together um, to push this legislation. Um, coming off of years of, of practice with this, you know, campaigns in the past that fed into this successful year with the campaign. Um, that was really meaningful to me. And I think especially in a moment like right now when things are pretty bleak, like, um, (laughs) it is, it is a really sustaining thought for me to know that like we have this tool. And this tool can be really powerful and that there are people who are, who are, can guide us through this moment who know about organizing and who know how to, how to use that effectively. That's so real. Like, I think in our society, um, you know, unfortunately, it's really like, it's not a cooler radical to be a pessimist or, you know, it's not like challenging. Right. But like, there is this vulnerability of hoping and working hard for something and feeling joy. Like that is definitely something that is more again, sensitive and vulnerable. And I'm a cancer in cancer season. So I love that shit. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, so you did a graphic novel. So I'm just curious, Sophia, what is your like target audience for this book? Like who do you want to read this book? I think that I kind of wrote it for myself and for my friends. It's it's a book that is aimed at adults, but with the intention that teens could read it and should read it. I think um, probably like middle grade might be a little young, though I'm all for people reading whatever they want to read. Um, but but I think that people who who are wondering how to effectively civically engage and and when I went into this, I was like, how can I make an impact? What can I do that feels like it's useful? Like it was pretty eye oriented, I would say. Um, and, and one of the results of this book was, was to shift that framing to be like, what are my communities? And I'm like, how can I be a part of them? Um, so I think that, I think there's room for people, A, who are, who are looking to potentially be involved in the political process to learn from from Julia's experience, certainly a lot of that is, is part of the book, just kind of the nuts and bolts and the unexpected parts of, of being a state senator for the first time, this office navigating it in a way that was super real. Like I was in the room for really a lot of the year, um, good and bad. And everyone was super on board with 
having that be on the page. But also there's this organizing component. So if you're someone who's not going to run for office, but you want to know how to engage, I hope the book has something for you too. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, um, I met Julia in person a few days ago and I told her, you know, um, my niece, who's of Colombian descent, just like Julia, uh, you know, she's 13 and she told me, you know, she's in debate right now and she says she wants to go to law school and be a politician. And I'm like, let me tell you about my state senator. And I can't wait to get this book for her because I think this is going to like rock her world. And, Amazing. you know, I always try to radicalize all my, all my nieces and nephews. <laughs> so uh, I'm really excited for that. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Now I want to like ask both of you uh, a question about what, what it's been like. I mean, you spent a year together. Obviously, you are promoting this book together. Uh, what has the relationship been between, you know, writer and subject? Is it like Donald Trump where you just pay <laughs> Sophia to say nice things about you that didn't really happen or something? No. You're right. I mean, I can, I can start, um, by answering it in a, like, uh, just like practical logistical way. Um, you know, uh, I, I should add that I don't, uh, benefit financially from this book in any way, <laughs> no exchange of money between Sophia and I. Um, and I shouldn't, you know, it, I think that's, that's right. Um, certainly as a public servant, um, and, uh, it's interesting, you know, when Sophia first approached me about the project, it was, 
really shortly after the primary election when I first won and was elected in 2018, um, that fall. And when she approached me about it, she basically said, like, this is the project I'm interested in doing, um, a, a graphic novel or a comic book, uh, about your first year in office. And, um, I think that, uh, you know, Sophia can speak to what she expected and how it went, but, um, uh, I was really just open-minded about it. And, uh, I've instantly found, um, it easy to, to trust Sophia, uh, and, and, um, really respected her and, and came to deeply ad- admire her and ad- admire her work. Um, it, because she really, uh, spent so much time with our office. There were times when it, you know, it was easy to forget that she was there, not that she was there as a human being, but easy to forget that she was there, um, working on this project and like, you know, sketching what was happening and, um, writing commentary about it. Uh, and you know, in, in order to produce this book. Um, so I think that because Sophia was willing to dedicate so much time to this project and, um, was patient and stayed longer than initially, I think she intended just a few months or so, um, but ended up, uh, following our office and, and doing this for more, more like a year. Um, and when you spend that much time on a project like this, I think like you really get to know people in a, in a real and meaningful way, um, that wouldn't have been possible if, you know, she spent a shorter period of time with our office. Yeah, I'll just I'll just add that the the feeling of uh, we didn't know each other. I had never met. We'd never met each other. We like I was aware of you. Obviously, we lived in the same neighborhood, and I think we have like a few mutual people in common. But um, but it really was it was a, for me a very strange experience because I've never done this before. You know, like I've made friends, but this felt obviously distinct from that. And that I we came into it with this understanding from the beginning that it was like subject writer um, dynamic. But I also think pretty quickly for me as well, it felt pretty comfortable. It was, it was a space where I felt like I could ask questions. I did not feel particularly burdensome. I think it really helped um, that I was there really from the beginning of, of Julia building her staff. And so it meant that we got to kind of meet each other. Um, the staff were meeting each other at the same time that I was meeting them in a lot of cases. And so um, it wasn't so much the feeling of me being an interloper as much as I was there from the beginning and um, sketching and whatever. It sort of became a part of, of the office in its beginnings. Um, but I think that across the board, I was I was just so appreciative of the transparency and of the level of trust um, that really felt, I hope, mutual. I didn't ever get a sense that people were resistant to me being there, or reluctant to have me um, do this this project that was independent of the office, right? Like I wasn't, um, I was making all the creative decisions on my own, and, and people were very cognizant of that, very respectful of that. Um, so I think it, it felt it felt more comfortable than I would have been able to anticipate, which was which was really great. That's awesome. 
That's so, so okay. So you didn't get payola from Julia <laughs> to write this book. Thank you for clarifying that. No, I just have a couple more questions and then I'll let y'all go continue to be awesome. Uh, Julia, when, when I was researching this, I, it hit me that you were one of, you were the youngest woman ever to be elected in New York State Senate. Um, and on top of that, you're a, a Latina woman which that's dear and dear to my heart as a fellow Latina. And yeah, I mean, I think that this country in the direction that, you know, just reality is we're going to have a bigger demographic of young Latinos and hopefully they're civically engaged. So I just want to hear some, like, after being a politician for a few years as a young woman navigating that, like, what are some lessons you learned or some advice you have for people who are interested in being a politician? Yeah. Um, you know, when I was growing up, um, even though I grew up in, in a place where there were a lot of fellow Latinos around and, and, um, it was pretty diverse. Um, a lot of the people who would mean like natural role models in my life, like my teachers, um, most of them were, were white, um, and not, you know, not Latino. Um, there weren't a lot of Latina, you know, figures, uh, in my life, um, uh, sort of signifying that, um, as a Latina, you could do great things and you could do, um, all of the same amazing things that, uh, a lot of, you know, more privileged people and white men, um, have been able to do in, in society. Um, and, that thankfully started to change, um, when I was, you know, maybe a, a teenager. Um, and certainly, uh, when I went to college, um, and I think that I've, my story and my experience has been a part of that. It really has been an honor to get to, to come into the state Senate at a moment when, um, the year before in 2018 and 2017, um, the vast majority of the state Senate were white men and, and, and usually older, um, white men. Um, and the year that I was elected, we also saw other women of color elected, even another Colombiana, uh, senator in Queens, um, and another in, in the state assembly. Um, and in, in just that time and in the few years since then, we um, have seen uh, just more representation uh, for um, young black and brown New Yorkers uh, to to look to um, and and see themselves more in leadership and and people in power. Um, and furthermore, uh, not just people in power, um, but young people, myself included, but I'm really part of a movement of um, people who are seeking to, you know, influence the electoral process, run for office, um, who are uh, not only look the way we do, have our experiences um, as as women of color, but um, are bringing the voices of our communities into that process. And so I think it's, it's just really important for young people, um, black and brown girls, especially, to, to see that, uh, and be encouraged by that, um, and have that, um, really building their conf confidence and, um, and influencing them, 
Um, in terms of like what, what I've learned, um, you know, I think, gosh, I've learned a lot <laughs> the, I'll say that. Um, <laughs> I, I really, it, we hit the ground running when we were elected and, um, I can't even describe how steep the, the learning curve is. Um, but I've also learned, honestly, especially coming in, in the moment that I did, um, with this change of leadership with the Democrats taking leadership for the first time in a long time in the state Senate, um, that the people who, um, because of their place in society, because they've had power for a while, um, who project confidence all the time, um, and seem to, to know what they're doing. They're also learning. Um, and they're in some cases, they're kind of winging it all the time too. Um, so, so yeah. And, and, um, that might not seem like a, a deeply meaningful thing, but I think the, the meaning in it is, um, for, for people reading this, um, and for people, uh, who've been intimidated by politics to not be intimidated and to recognize like we're human beings, we're trying to do our best. Um, and, and that, it should and can be accessible to everyday working people. That is exactly who, who really should be in power um, in our state, in our country. That's incredible. Yes, that is so real. I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, there's all those shirts that says like, I want to have the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> like that is so real. And even, even as a creative, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, even if they don't want to get into politics, have had those things where they don't feel like they're good enough or they feel like an imposter or they have somebody second guessing that, you know, and it's not just all in your head. It's society telling you too that you're not good enough or you need to work harder because you need to prove her that. You know, so I love working with white guys who are my peers who like, you know, I worked on a project and this guy was just like, um, you know, we got some notes back and I immediately was like, oh, I did so bad, whatever. And this guy was like, no, fuck them, blah, blah. He complained to somebody else's boss. And I'm like, yes, I need this confidence. And that is so real. Like, I love that that is what you learned, because I'm sure, especially a lot of these older politicians, they're really good at that game. And we all got to get better at that because, yes, people like us should be in power. Okay. Thank you all so much for coming. I want to hear, tell us, like, how can we keep in touch with you? And Sophia, too, like, how can people stay engaged with what you're working on? And also, where can we buy this book? I'll go start. Um, this book, you should buy from a local bookstore if you can. If it's not there, you can order it. Definitely support local bookstores. We love them. Um, also, the library is a good place to check. If they don't have it, you can request it um, mm. for your library system. I'm definitely going to plug that because I love a library. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram. It's my name, which is Sophia Warren, Sophia with an S, Art, Sophia Warren Art. Awesome. And Julia? Yeah. So, um, and so the title of Sophia's book, uh, just a reminder is radical. My year with a socialist senator. Um, and yeah, you can, um, easily find my, my office, my contact info. Um, if you're a constituent, even if you're not, and you're just interested in what we're doing in the state Senate at nysenate.gov. Um, I am on, uh, Twitter at at Julia Carmel, C-A-R-M-E-L, the two underscores at the end. Um, also on, on Instagram, 
Um, but I, I mostly use Twitter personally. Um, oh, I'm lucky to have a, <laughs> a team, a team of folks who make sure that we're keeping everyone posted on social media about, about what we're doing, but that's usually where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. So inspiring. I'm ready to be a socialist senator myself. After <laughs> Thank you okay. all so much. That's me, Millie Tamaris. Till the end of democracy, this is the Betcha Sub Podcast. The Betcha Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.